And we are live with our 137th episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Seth Law, at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. Ken and I are excited to be here. Uh, we got a few things that we want to talk through today. Uh, as far as announcements go, the biggest thing is still the Black Hat course that's upcoming. If you're interested, please reach out. Um, I think I'm going to post the, yeah, let me post one of them in, in the in the comments as it is. Um, yeah, please come out and join us. Uh, I do need to still submit for LASCON, but we're, we're going to try and train there as well because that will be in person. I'm pretty sure the Black Hat ones are still virtual, which I... Yeah, it is what it is, right? Um, I I know that they will have virtual training, but they did announce, I think, last week that they said that they'll they're uh, because Nevada's opened back up, they are going to have uh, more in person stuff, I guess, um, than before. I think it was like the split is what I'm what I'm saying. I know that there's some change where, but I, yeah, it's still virtual for for our for training. trainings. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think the trainings they just didn't book the training rooms. Right. So those are all still virtual, uh, yeah. but they are going to have the conference space open. Um, I, I mean, you know, we'll do the training and, you know, I'm going to try and get down there because I'll be down there for DEF CON anyway. Oh, that's the other thing I wanted to say. Anyone that's listening that has, I, you know, I'm knee deep in Hacker Tracker um, or uh, a yet to be new named uh, app, right? Like it's always been Hacker Tracker, but I think we're going to change up the name just. We get so much pushback on Hacker Tracker because people want us to track hackers that yeah. <laughs> the general public. Anyway, so uh, if anyone has suggestions or wants or feature requests for uh, the Hacker Tracker, um, please let us know. Hit me up on Twitter or you know DMs, whatever. Right? Um, I'd love to you know get more people involved on that side. We've got a team now that's working on it for all the event scheduling stuff. And that, that's going to be coming down. Yeah, there's going to be a lot more that's coming down uh, as far as conferences go and put into it. It's been on a hiatus basically since last DEF CON because everyone was virtual and everything was online anyway. The need wasn't there as much. So, um, yeah. Are you going to bring swag with you to, to Vegas? Uh, I will. People, yeah. I will. Because I'm going to be – I'll be driving down, I'm fairly certain, right? Um, okay. so I'll be able to throw all, uh, all the absolute AppSec swag or red point swag, whatever people want. Uh, we'll bring it along. Um, uh, there's a couple new things I think we're going to order. I've got, I've got a new series of shirts that I want to print for absolute AppSec, right. Um, to have a, you know, a slightly different logo and look to them. So I'm excited about that. Uh, but we have the classics too. And along those lines, if anyone who wants swag, right. Uh, before the end of the show, send us a send us an email or a DM to absolute at absolute appsec, and we will get you a t shirt and maybe some. <laughs> oh, fuck. What <laughs> I just I just look over and realize I still haven't sent out for the last people to email. So we'll do it. I'll do the new people and the old people all together. I apologize, those folks that I have a list of a cup of three people to send swag to already. So like once I get the new people, I just add them and make a trip to the UPS store and get. Get it knocked out. Sweet. Okay. So, uh, yeah, email us if you want swag. All right. I, I think that's everything. Uh, Ken's making himself a note. Uh, 
yeah, today there's a couple of things that we wanted to talk about. Um, the first one that I wanted to pull up, Ken, out of, of the articles was the GraphQL CSERF finding right? or uh, research. Um, that's from Doyensec. And these guys have been doing so much GraphQL um, research. I, like, if you haven't checked out their blog, this isn't the only thing that they've done on GraphQL, but it is one that's 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 pretty interesting when it comes from just attacks that people aren't expecting. And I, I know I run into this quite a bit because of uh, just testing in general, API testing. Um, and the different vulnerabilities that can exist when the browser is requesting data from APIs um, and how that can actually happen. CSERF, obviously, well, okay, but maybe we should rewind. First of all, let's define what CSERF is. <laughs> um, just so we have a, a, a good base level understanding as we have this discussion, right? Um, so Ken, what is your go-to explanation for CSERF? Well, when you're out in the ocean, and a, a boogie board. Yes. And no, I don't know. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, like basically when you can, an action can be forced upon a user uh, with unbeknownst to them and there's no protections against that. So like, you know, typically with, especially like, well, it could be, there's, we should also mention there's RFC. So there's the dangerous verbs. Uh, it's an RFC standard. It's called the, like the, that's literally what they're called dangerous verbs. So it's like put, post, patch, delete. These are supposed to be HTTP type requests that are state changing. And get is supposed to be something that's like for innocuous non-state changing activities, just requesting like a URL and getting some view presentation layer stuff returned to you. So like, uh, but not like making any, changes through a get request right so yeah. not having like parameters in the get request that then change some values and records in a database cool. uh yeah and anyway so and and then uh those other eight dangerous verbs are supposed to have something that that does some validation something i mean the the most ubiquitous sort of like way we've seen that handled is with uh nonces and you know tokens um that are random and ideally also tied to a session um, like uh, or sorry, not, not, not just the session, but the uh, sorry, the endpoint as well. So like meaning for, for instance, and we, we talked about this again, I always say we talk about this in the secure code recourse, but we talk about like how, you know, when um, the, when the, the, the token is tied to a specific path, it actually makes it hard to do things like insecure direct object reference, but because by like changing a parameter value, you've now skewed the like path potentially, or, um, you know, there's just different authorization cases beyond CSERF that it, that it, it, it unintentionally seems to protect against. And I say that specifically because, you know, I work at GitHub and that's how we do CSERF protection is on a pat per path, um, big basis. Anyways, CSERF though, is like, you know, me being able to sort of just force somebody to do some action without them knowing that that's yeah. ultimately what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, forcing someone to do something, without their knowledge. Um, I always like the, like before it was known as cross-write request forgery, right? Like we always called it session writing, um, which is, I, I feel like more descriptive. Like riding a horse, literally yeah. riding. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, on a, on a web page. with a pen. Yeah, riding, not writing. Yes, enunciation is important. Um, yeah, but session writing, 
where I build a request into my web page that makes a, you know, it uses one of those dangerous verbs and makes a call out to another another site that's not associated with my web page. So hence, that's the cross-site aspect of cross-site request forgery. And the browsers automatically attaches tokens that are associated with that third site, the site that I'm trying to get access to, to any requests that run to that site, right? So those cookies are sent along with the request that's unintended. Um, so you visit my blog or my site, and all of a sudden you're transferring money into my account at your bank because I was able to execute this on behalf of you because you were logged into the bank at the same time. That, that's kind of the common explanation that we give for it. So when it comes to GraphQL, uh, like we start talking about sensitive data that's being updated or retrieved. Um, what, I mean, what is new about this? Like what, what are we uncovering with this article then that is, I mean, that's, I don't know, iterative, right? I guess I should say like, what, why yeah, are I they calling mainly, it out? No, I think just mainly because it's, it's, because CSERF, you know, you and I know that it's pretty nuanced. Like in some cases, it can it can occur in different. It CSERF can manifest in so many ways, and we talked about like the one way to fix it, which is the you know tokens. But there's like there's a whole bunch of other things that people use, like validating the origin, double uh, what is it, double cookie, double submission of cookies. Uh, there's, I think there's another mitigation. Uh, that I'm forgetting. But anyways, there's like different ways you can protect against it. There's, and because of that, there's various nuances. And, and if you're not familiar with GraphQL, the way GraphQL works is like there is typically, so like in the article, they mentioned they tested 30 endpoints, right? Yeah. Well, 30 endpoints, like one endpoint for GraphQL, like one app, sorry, what I'm trying to say is there's only one endpoint usually for one app and it's forward slash GraphQL. And the, the, the different routes, so to speak, or the, the different things that you can do are based off of the, the actual parameters you supply. Not So I guess what I'm saying is every request looks like a forward slash GraphQL, but then there's like a bunch of other data that you can plop into the actual request body and it changes um, what endpoint internally you're hitting. So yep. when they say one endpoint, what they mean is there could be 300 different types of queries that you can run on GraphQL and all these different model objects exposed, but again, only one endpoint to, to, to the surfaces, which is a little bit different, right? Because usually when you and I talk about like request mapping, it's like, oh, well, maybe you'll dump the routes from like a, a Django app or something, and you'll see like forward slash home, forward slash dashboard, forward slash admin, you know, those, those types of, of URLs. And that's like each one of those in the endpoint, whereas with GraphQL, it's just the forward slash GraphQL. And then, yeah, yeah. conceptually that, holds every other route internally. Yep. Well, and that's, so I, I when mean, you have, yeah. Yeah. And that's but. the interesting thing about these, like if I can set up an XML HTTP request or I can set up a post to a GraphQL endpoint here and start to manipulate data or even retrieve data, it, it becomes fairly dangerous, right? Um, the, I, I mean, the whole idea behind GraphQL is exactly what you're saying. You have one endpoint, and then there's a query language you use behind the scenes that allows you to retrieve and update and do whatever you want um, with language. So similar to, I mean, SQL, right? Like there's a reason why they call it GraphQL. It's a query language, similar to SQL, like the 
standard query language, I think is what that stands for, but that's for databases. Um, and uh, being able to post or even to get things with the credentials of a user, it makes things, I will, yeah, I mean, exactly what you're saying, right? Um, we're, we're starting to execute dangerous functions. We're starting to execute or retrieve sensitive data because a user is logged in and we haven't put those protections into GraphQL unless the developer has wrapped GraphQL like behind like the typical Rails or Django or, you know, Node.js, you know, whatever protections. Um, I mean, I mean, I think it's a really good point. Most APIs don't necessarily do this, but it it also um, depends upon the uh, authentication through the use of cookies, right? So if the if the GraphQL endpoint is using something else for authentication, um, such as some sort of a parameter the or a different header bearer token. Yeah, yeah. The bearer tokens, then this isn't going to work, obviously, right? It, it's only when we're using cookies, but most application that that seems to be the default. It just depends on the developer. I mean, this is a good kind of rewind for me when I'm looking at APIs to think about CSERF because it, it has felt for a long time, like CSERF is pretty dead, right? Like there, there hasn't been a lot of new exploits that go along with it. Everybody seems to understand, yes, we need to implement tokens, form tokens or whatever else, like endpoint tokens, what you guys are doing, like that kind of thing to validate. Um, but now we're talking about almost API tokens or GraphQL tokens that you have to validate as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I think like what this reminds me of is because GraphQL uses query and mutations, right? Mutations being, I hope I don't butcher this, but I, mutations being state changing and queries being like, let me just add, it's sort of like SQL. Yeah, like SQL when you do like a find or, or when you do a lookup, right? Uh, a read a read style query versus a write verse, uh, version, which is like an in SQL syntax, like an update or something like that, or a create, right? That mutation is like that update or create and query is like that, like, extra selecting, right? Just reading some information from the database. And when you can have that forward slash GraphQL endpoint accessible over get and post, and you don't limit like the mutation side for being something restricted to purely those forward slash post request or those forward slash the, the post request to forward slash GraphQL, then you, you run into some issues, right? Like it's pretty simple. If you're just going to query things and read things, get. If you're going to change things, post. And that's the same thing. Query, get, mutation, post. That's the way we're, we're sort of looking at it. And I think that's what's specifically interesting with GraphQL, as well as the fact that there are certainly ways you can leverage. They, they mention, the, the one thing that's a little confusing is they mention that the frameworks can um, have built-in uh, CSERF authorization, which I know is true, but like, I guess if you if you do restrict it to read only and write only versus you know query and mutation get and post, then you could potentially lean on I suppose the framework authorization filter, right? Because because in theory, if only mutations can occur um, on that VL uh, post request, and the framework should know that dangerous verbs are post, put, patch, delete. 
then it should automatically apply those sea surf protections, I suppose. I mean, I don't know, but like, then you're the, the hard part about that too, is that you're then like hoping that there's a front end to this, because if it's just the GraphQL API, you wouldn't have any nonce token, you know? Yep. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I'm kind of like spinning off now thinking about that mitigation piece that was recommended at the end of the article. So, yeah. yeah. Well, should, should we mention, I mean, what, like you mentioned this company's done a lot. Have you looked at their burp uh, plugin at all? Oh yeah. It's, it's pretty slick, right? It, it, it's not overly complex yet, but they, they, they keep adding more and more functionality to it. Um, right. Like sadly it's been, I've been doing a lot more code review lately. Surprise, surprise. Right. Um, so I haven't run into as much GraphQL the code, in the last, guy like, does code review. I know <laughs> in the last six, six to 12 months, right? Like I haven't done as much, but, um, the, that, uh, what in, in, in QL, I think, or what are they calling it? Sorry. Q4 or something. Yeah. NQL scanner. Um, here, let me, let me post that. Oh, NQL version four is what I meant. Yeah. Yep. Yep. But you should, like, if you run into, um, let me copy the link address and post it in here. But if you run into GraphQL, you should you should be using it. But I wouldn't be ten depending on it solely for GraphQL stuff because there's so much custom and there's so many layers within GraphQL, um, especially as far as authorization goes. Uh, you almost have to enumerate all of the different endpoints use the introspection query to let GraphQL tell you what you can do and what you can access um, and then enumerate through there. Um, but that being said, I mean, the C-Surf stuff is a great little like added bonus if they are actually using GraphQL and you've got a, you know, a React front end that's querying a GraphQL database. Uh, that's, that's a good way to go, right? That's, Oh, this is interesting. I actually didn't see that they were using excess search as well. So yeah. They're doing a cross uh, domain request. So in case you're curious, not you, Seth, but people listening, obviously, you as an attacker would just host a page and then have them, uh, when, once once browsed browsing to that page, you just have the uh, the victim. They wouldn't know, but their browser would be sending a bunch of requests like over get. In this case, they show a get request to excess, sorry, to the victim, the site that the victim has permissions on in the session with. So they're querying in this case for email addresses and trying to like, see, like uh, presumably this is an admin who's logged into their regular, like known good website in another tab. Maybe they view, you know, this attacker site and then their browser's making a bunch of requests. They've already got like to, to the, uh, the good site, they're, their browsers automatically going to send those sessions with session cookies for that origin with each request. They will not know. And then based on the time it takes to respond, you know, if there's like 500 milliseconds for like, a, you know, the lookup and then it fails and then it's versus like maybe like a hundred milliseconds because it's found automatically in the DB and returned or the opposite, whichever, you know, a timing based attack sort of deal. So sending a ton of requests, analyzing how long those responses uh, take to come back and, um, that's how XS search, uh, attacks work, but I've not seen it combined with GraphQL uh, and C surf yeah. issues. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, cool. I, yeah, it is pretty cool. Right. Like, it, and it's a good call because we have pushed GraphQL from, you know, 
I don't know, normal kind of API requests to, you know, being this catch-all. Um, and most APIs are moving this direction, right? Like it's not just put and post and, you know, using, you know, API tokens anymore. There's, it's becoming a part of the application. So just one more right. thing you got to watch out for, right? As a developer, that's, that's really what it boils down to. I saw Derek, uh, you and Derek uh, on the chat talking about um, how Facebook created this. And it's funny because when I first joined GitHub, um, which is not that far from four years ago, it was like, I'm halfway between, I'm like three years and three quarters uh, at um, GitHub. When I first started, GraphQL was kind of like hot and like the hotness and everybody was trying, because like Facebook released, you know, GraphQL and we, we were definitely hot on GraphQL. I don't see as much enthusiasm anymore for, for GraphQL in the, in the circle that I run in uh, or circles. But uh, what about you, Seth? Are you seeing your customers with GraphQL? Are you seeing um, much use? Like, I'm curious if it's on the downswing, upswing, staying the same, just anecdotally. Um, it's probably about the same, right? Like I, I don't hear quite as much about it and I'm seeing still mostly RESTful APIs, right? Um, that seems to be the main, uh, people are still using those. I, I don't think GraphQL has quite had its day. I, I think there's still some growth there that can happen, but I don't know if it's lost the, the shiny new that would actually drive it for wider adoption. Yeah, it's um, not um, trivial for sure to convert an app over to then have your engineering team get up to speed on it, build your abilities table and authorization properly. (laughs) Well, and I mean, part of that is too, right? Like doing things in AWS, uh, like developing an app in there. um, It's not like um, API gateway just supports GraphQL out of the box, right? RESTful interfaces are very easy to set up with AWS yeah. as opposed to GraphQL. And you have to all, you have to design for GraphQL as opposed to RESTful APIs. Switching between the two is, yeah, I, I, it's not something that I would I would want to do, especially with an with an old application um, or an established application, unless there was a really good reason. Right, like, hey, I'm Facebook, and I'm having millions of RESTful requests, like get posts, and I want to limit that, and I I see an easy way to do that with GraphQL, um, but it would have to be something seriously, uh, yeah, I, there would have to be a real impetus for that. So, yeah, and I know that like you know it, it helps with the um, service oriented architecture nature and it's sort of like in the idea being you know everybody's using the same kind of standard but it's more but it but it like you said it, it we've 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 had restful endpoints and it's been a successful story for many 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 uh, organizations and so it's you know very, i think it's a very specific use case in which you you might need to go with graphql to to what basically just saying what you said right um, yeah Like from an aggregation perspective, I could see like rolling, hey, we have, you know, a hundred different web services. We want to roll them all under the same hood. Why don't we just use GraphQL for that instead of all these different endpoints? Um, Hmm. And I I know organizations that do that and that's kind of their use case for it is a single point that they can go to. Um, But but then on the back end, they've written 
um, basically a shim layer in there that goes and makes a restful call to the API on the back end, right? So it's you've got a mix match with it. I, I don't know how how much more it's going like what its legs look like, right? I, I mean, if I could predict the future like that, we would build the one true framework and call it good, right? And no one will use it. No one would use it, right? Yeah. People <laughs> exactly. want to use what they want to use, man. Yep. And so, I mean, yeah, uh, I don't know. Like, I, I do like GraphQL. I think there's some, I think there's a lot to uncover. I think if you've, you and I have talked about GraphQL, we have looked into the research, we've discussed it on the podcast before, probably a couple of years ago when we were doing that. But one, I, one thing I think we, we came away with is that it is best to have like a scanner and automation of some kind. It's a little hard because, you know, yeah, not well, we everyone that allows you to enumerate all of the uh, queries and mutations, which are something that you, you know, you can do. There's like a big glob. And we talked about that a couple of years ago. There's a big glob you can input into um, sending into a, a GraphQL endpoint and it, if it's enabled, uh, which most of the time this this is, you can enumerate all of those those queries and mutations, and then you could start fuzzing. And I know at uh, GitHub we had seen some really awesome bug bounty submissions that were, you know, messing with the authorization and you know attaching nested like there will be like a, a nested mutation setup and you know it bypasses some ability table lookup and you're like wow that's super cool but again automation would be much more helpful uh in speeding that up yeah well that i mean that's the difficult thing right like the the way that the queries are built you can i, I mean you could potentially you can nest and nest and nest right um right. at which point uh, you've got to limit how much a query can can nest, like how many layers deep they can go looking up resources. Um, because it, it does like enumerate through a relational database and it's got like, you've got other restrictions that are built into there. So most of the GraphQL configurations will have some sort of, hey, do you allow nested queries, right? And how deep do you allow those nested queries to go? Do you allow them to go four or five layers deep? And then from an authorization and authentication perspective, you've got to think through what that complex state looks like and where the checks are implemented for looking up data. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I like I don't know how many developers like how deep that actually goes. I, I mean, honestly, if we wanted to, if we want to do a deep discussion on GraphQL, we could have we we should have Leaf and the guys from Segment back on because right? I know they utilize it very heavily. Or you probably have somebody within uh, within GitHub that's you know, that's thinking about these problems as well, but it's not a trivial use case and it's not a trivial security setup. Uh, and, it, no, and it's not, a, it's not a trivial, trivial security test either. Right. That's what I ran into when we started, like we, we, we automated a whole bunch of tests thought, Hey, let's go build a scanner, which is why I like Doyle sec because they actually went and built the scanner and released it. But you run into hard problems after you have this introspection query on, hey, how how deep do I want to actually do these nested queries, right, from a security perspective? Um, do I want to find what the limits of that is? If the developers haven't set any limits, then I don't have any limits. And all of a sudden, right, I, like, DOS my own little, like, scanner because I can't handle the results or I can't handle building out a query like that, right? So, 
Yeah, it, it, it's a it's a hard problem. It's a hard problem to solve. I mean, there's a lot of hard problems that we run into, but um, I I do feel like authorization, like the C-Surf stuff that these guys are talking about, that that's where developers are going to fall down more than they are with the nested queries and something, you know, some of the other items that are in there, even like uh, input validation or, you know, injection issues don't seem to be really an issue. It can be within GraphQL because they're passing back to a database, but... Yeah, it's it. I, I feel like authorization is the biggest thing when it comes to GraphQL. That was a long-winded rant. Sorry. Yeah. No. Well, no, I'm not saying yes to that. I'm just saying no. I agree with you because I think one thing you said was the relational aspect is like the biggest component to that. Um, and like you said, the, the nested queries and um, the. the I think I guess even if what what I would say is even if I was trying to write a secure GraphQL endpoint, I wouldn't rely on just myself, right? Like I would still need to like have friends look at it or have colleagues look at it. So it's not like it's any developer's fault or um, something even I would like inherently ex expect them to be good at. I think it's it would be a process. So that's what you know. And this is the things that come into like these technology conversations when we talk about technology technology choices. You know, sometimes um, I think the difference between an experienced engineer and a not experienced engineer is uh, one will typically choose what, you know, is they've seen a conference talk on and, you know, everyone's talking about and maybe it's on Hacker News and like, it's like, let's give this a shot um, for production versus like, a, you know, side project of theirs, right? Whereas an experienced engineer will definitely consider um, new technologies and what value they bring, but they'll, they'll look at things like that too. Like organizationally, how well will we be able to support this? What are the security implications? What are the functional implications? You know, what, what do we have engineers that, how much time would it take to get the whole team up to, up to uh, par on this new technology? And like, you know, it, it, there's just a lot of considerations that go, go into it. So, yep. but uh, yeah, anyways. Well, and that's a, I mean, that's a common complaint across the like IT industry, not just software security or software or in industry um, is the, okay, there's great. There's new technology. I mean, this week is uh, WWDC from Apple. Right? And I was having this discussion with a non-technical person recently, or actually it was my son that we were talking about yesterday because Apple came, came out and announced all these new features for iOS and this, you know, these cool uh, development things. And he's like, Oh, so you're going to switch over like hacker tracker to use any of that. And I was like, honestly, no. Right. Like maybe in two years when the current set of people that are using the app actually are, you know, actually have updated to that version of iOS that's going to support it, right? Like I can't just willy nilly make these changes and expect people like I drop 25% of my users if I do that. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's that it's kind of that forced obsolescence, but it's also uh, like it's great that there's new security features and privacy tags and all, you know, all this like new functionality that exists. But there's a long tail to implementing it from a development perspective. So GraphQL, I, I feel like is, yeah, they peaked or they had like a lot of interest. But now we're in that. OK, where does it make sense um, phase and that, you know. I, I don't want to, yeah. The experienced developers, just like you're saying, are the ones that are going to make that that judgment call on whether or not it's worth the effort. If it's a new application and you're expecting to look up lots of data, great, right? Like 
greenfield, go for it. But you are buying into that system because changing from GraphQL to RESTful is a pain. Uh, changing tech, any technology is a pain and it's costly. Yeah. And I mean, it's not just GraphQL, right? It's like any tech. It's like we saw everybody just immediately attached to Kubernetes, not know exactly what to do with Kubernetes and how to <laughs> keep it secure, let alone, I mean, I should say the inverse of that. Set it up correctly, let alone keep it secure. And, you know, people rushed into it. And then all of a sudden, you know, a couple of years later, you see a story, you see all these stories about like, oh, we, uh, you know, we decided that uh, that wasn't the best story for us. And uh, we, we reverted on that, that, that decision. And then other people have continued down that path and it works for them. Again, it's, it's, you know, what works for one person, it doesn't work for everybody. But yeah, um, yeah it's not, I don't want to beat up on GraphQL. It's just like, you know, technology choices in general. Yeah. And I just posted, like you mentioned Kubernetes. I mean, that leads pretty easily into the Kubernetes GOAT project that's been released recently, um, which is, you know, basically an insecure rollout of Kubernetes to test things against. So if you want to do it securely, don't base it on Kubernetes GOAT, right? Let's just, let's get that out of the way. Um, and, And I haven't done much research into this. And honestly, like when Kubernetes came out, um, and I looked at it, uh, right? Like I understand where it fits, but most places where I've been that are trying to roll out Kubernetes and are struggling with it, I always kind of go back to, is it worth, like what is it that you get out of Kubernetes outside of, hey, I worked with Kubernetes, right? Like, do you really need that whole infrastructure for your little blog, right? I, do you really? Is has always been the question that I have there. Um, like, is the complexity worth the effort that you're putting into it? Yeah. I mean, are you are you Google, right? Google was the one that, that built Kubernetes for specific reasons that they, I, I mean, they needed it, right? Based on the workloads that they have, the size of the data that's going into it. Um, most banks probably don't need it. You know, Kubernetes, like they're not serving up that same sort of data flow or the the, the number of requests. And like, I, I mean, I, I know I'm getting down in the weeds as far as like arguing about it rather than talking about this vulnerable version. But that that's where I struggle with Kubernetes is uh, it, it feels like something that it feels like overkill for most places. Yeah, or they're leaning on it for the wrong reasons, like isolation guarantees or something like that, you know. And it's like you, you and just expecting out of the box that those guarantees to be there, which I've seen again anecdotally. I've seen that uh, more frequently lately. I'll say. Um, so yeah, and then it does take quite a bit of knowledge. To not, I mean, you don't have to be like you know, it's not like a PhD level to secure it, but you know, there's certainly some homework to, to, that goes into. And, and again, not just securing it, but just like managing Kubernetes. So, um, yeah, and it's just like one of those things where you always wonder if it's if it's best for everybody. But in the case that it is, and you want to know more about how to secure it, we do have this vulnerable, uh, not us, some some someone else released this Kubernetes Go. I did want to put in this link too, by the way, like because I saw this on, um, I don't know, maybe Reddit or something like that. Um, and I just added to my list of things to try, but there's this Docker file security scanner um, that looks to be fairly new. And uh, yeah, maybe that, maybe I was, 
maybe do do what I was going to do uh, and probably will forget to do, as which is run this file on uh, Kubernetes Go. Maybe maybe there's something. I don't know. Maybe they've got that. Their Come Docker on, go, file set. Go, go yeah. set that up and let's do it really quick. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, in the last eight on the minutes, fly. In the fly. <laughs> it, it probably wouldn't be a bad thing, right? Um, but yeah, I, I mean, any of those. There's so many resources that are out there, and I like anyone that's getting into the industry now, and th and that's what I would say, right? Like, jump into something that's interesting to you, because we're, it's no longer just like application security anymore is so broad. Right? I look at the guys from Doylen Sec that are concentrating on you know specific aspects that interest them. Um, you see this stuff from. I mean, take your pick, right? Bug bounty researchers that are doing SSRF research. Uh, you've got um, Kettle and the guys at Burp Suite or Portswigger that are doing great stuff. Um, but they're all Who is it's coming all, on the podcast. You will be. We're you know we're teasing that out months early, but um, <laughs> yeah, it should it, like it's it it's super interesting, right? So if I mean if Kubernetes is something that you're interested in, go install Kubernetes Goat. Go, um, you know, start up an application, just a hello world application there that takes input and see how it works. Because I know that there's research there that can be done. Um, there's research into like all sorts of APIs. We've got so much that's coming out um, that I know just doesn't get the eyes that it needs. Uh, I, just going into different organizations and looking at the code and looking at, um, you know, e everything that happens, right? Like, I start talking about timing attacks and how long that we've, and I'm kind of all over the board, Ken. I'm sorry about that. Right. But um, yeah, it's all good. like, like areas of research that just don't get the scrutiny that they, they should. Uh, and I know this that from myself as well, because I do a bunch of research based on the clients and the current apps that I'm looking at and the code that I'm looking at. Uh, and then it gets dropped on the floor because I just don't have time. I have to move to the next client um, that anyone that can support an extended you know, amount of time doing research and releasing a blog post uh, is going to, is going to get accolades because we don't have the capacity to do that as a, as an industry. There's just not enough people looking. There's not enough eyes on the code. There's not enough eyes on the different frameworks and applications that are out there. Um, that you can find a niche for yourself and make a good run at things. Um, yeah. Anyway, so go install Kubernetes goat. Um, like I really want to right now, but I got other stuff I got to do today. So, and then I probably won't get back to it. So somebody go install it and let me know how, it, how it goes. Uh, it looks like there's a black hat training that uses Kubernetes goat. That's upcoming. Yeah. As well. Uh, there's uh, there's one of these one of these articles I want to uh, yeah one of these articles I just want to uh, yeah post real quick, um, which is from it was from the uh, from that Docker file um, readme basically linked from there so oh, cool. this is pretty cool and I didn't realize Sneak put this out so do we determine it's Sneak? That <laughs> yeah that's fine basically it can be whatever you want it to be right that's right that's what they said on the podcast podcast episode right it was just 
We just yeah. that's whatever. Yeah, we that's want to be. yeah, that that's what Guy said on. I, I think Snick or Sneak were the two preferred, right? I don't know, right? I'd like we'd I'd have to go back and watch the episode to see exactly what he said there. But that was my that was that's what I remember from that episode, however long ago that was. Um, but yeah, yeah. that the. 10 doctor image security best practices. Good. That's, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that they're checking for, right? That's what Crone or whatever his name is, is looking at. Yeah. And, and yeah. I mean, they're doing a, a ton of research in that area as well. I, that was the other thing, right? Like did, did we talk about, or did we talk about sneak on the bod- podcast that they're releasing a static analysis tool? I don't know if we ever did. Um, I don't know if they did actually. They've got, yeah, um, as part of sneak code. Yeah, there's sneak code now. Code security and code quality scanning. Yeah, there's that. Hmm. Sorry, were you saying for Kubernetes or for, uh, for, sorry, for Docker files or for uh, just SAST? SAST in general. Oh that yeah, they, they seem to have a SaaS offering. Yeah, yeah, that it's new. Yeah, um, yeah. So sneak. Uh, it, I haven't played with it yet. Um, I know I was talking to the guys about it, but I wasn't sure what the what the cost or anything was because it is a commercial tool. But it should be. I, I mean, they're generating a whole bunch of interesting application security products, right? Sneak is, and it started with the. Uh, software composition analysis. They've done Docker stuff, right? Like, at, you know, everything in the kind of that CI/CD pipeline. They're a good, good resource. If you haven't checked them out, you should. Mm-hmm. Cool, sweet. And I know you've got to go early today, but yeah, sorry, just... I, I'm like looking at the clock. Yeah, I got a, I got a little uh, let summit thing I got to do. The NoSQL injection cheat sheet that came out as well. Um, this has been going around a little bit, but. Uh, yeah, if you haven't tested for you know, NoSQL injection before, you should. I dig that article. My favorite thing about this, okay, and this goes back to my sputter days when I talked about security unit testing. My favorite thing about that article is right up front, they've got simple error-based NoSQL injection tests, right? So basically, give me a string that I can test for to see if there's a problem. And if there's a problem, I'm going to go fix it, as opposed to I'm going to go exploit it. From a development perspective and a unit test security perspective, that's gold. Um, I that is exactly how I envision security engineers or software security engineers using fuzzing libraries. Uh, is I, I don't need to exploit things; I just need to know there's a problem. This this was something I saw a lot with like or. I shouldn't say I saw a lot, but when I did see NoSQL injection, it was typically with like a node application and uh-huh. using like uh, Mongo. And, Mongo, uh, yep. Mongoose, Mongoose, the ORM for MongoDB. Yeah. And yep. I think we, you and I built, when we used to work at that company that once upon a time did AppSec, I don't know what they do now. <laughs> um, they, uh, we we built a op- open source app that... Um, demonstrated this and basically it was just took user parameters converted them to or kept them in like oh it was just json content so instead of like converting a json request to like pull out parameters it just take the body and and it's a json content type so it's just plucked right in put it put it right into a 
uh, mongoose query. And then, um, uh, it, um, becomes, you know, Mongo, Mongo syntax, no SQL injection basically. Um, but yep. yeah, so just hopefully I said that right. Cause I was thinking about the example why I said it. So it's, it's JSON content sent to the server placed directly into a mongoose query, which is a MongoDB query. And then you have injection there, but if it's yep. not in JSON format um, and it's like a string in JSON style, but, but not actual JSON, it won't work. So yep. Um, yeah. And I know, and I know that Mongoose did actually. They released an update that did away with that, right? Like that did protections uh, by oh. default. Um, so, but so you have to have a specific version. Um, so, like again, NoSQL is one of those that I just don't see. NoSQL injection, I just don't see very often anymore, right? Like it's it's kind of disappeared um, based on the frameworks that we're using. But anyway, check out the cheat sheet if you haven't before. Um, Good thing to have in your back pocket when you run into NoSQL databases. Cool. So we've covered a lot today. Um, yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I have to bounce. I'm gonna have to go get prepped for my next my next four hours. Okay. <laughs> so. No worries. Uh, well, thanks everybody for joining. Uh, if you have questions, you want links or anything like that, please, please, please join the Slack channel. Uh, we're always available and well, we're, we're always on there some point and we will respond um, and send us. Yeah. If you want swag, send us a DM or send us an email. Oh yeah. And you could either send it. I mean, we are changing over our emails. I should mention this. Um, so we are going the professional route. We used to be absolute absec at gmail.com. Now you can just email us info at absoluteabsec.com. So info at absoluteabsec.com. Of course, if you send an email to the other address, we'll still get it. But, uh, you know, that's the preferred route now is info at absoluteabsec.com. So. Sweet. All right. Oh. Good deal. All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining. And we'll see you all next week. Thank you. Bye. Ciao.